encouraged, not burdened by the history that they create. They know what is expected of them. They are Manchester United. I'm joined today by Aaron Lerner. Uh, he is the editor-in-chief of The Short Fuse, and we're doing an Opposition View episode ahead of Manchester United versus Arsenal. Uh, Aaron, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's always it's always really difficult for me to talk about Arsenal. You know, you really have to, to twist my arm and, you know, <laughs> bribe me to, to talk about the club that, you know, I spend most of my free time writing about. Yeah, uh, I'm sure I have to twist your arm even more to get you to talk about Manchester United. <laughs> uh, it's almost uh, inextricable. You know, if you talk about Arsenal, you pretty much have to talk about United just because of how much history there is between the clubs. Yeah, I feel like uh, like fans of, you know, I, I kind of got into the sport as a kid at the tail end of that Arsene Wenger, Sir Alex Ferguson rivalry years I, I know it went on a little bit it seemed like once Chelsea emerged things got a little bit different and there was definitely more of a mutual respect between the two of them but like it, it's almost like the foundational rivalry of what people understand as the modern Premier League era yeah I definitely I definitely agree with that it sort of set the standard for nastiness in uh in matches for a very long time and you know now most of those guys are pundits and they always speak wistfully about the times that, you know, Patrick Vieira and, and uh, Roy Keane were, you know, going out there putting in leg breakers on each other's teammates and, you know, yeah. getting into fisticuffs basically at the end of every match and sometimes <laughs> in the middle of them and pizza slices were flying about oh, the halcyon yeah. days, the halcyon days. Yeah. Susk Fabregas and Pizzagate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Good times, uh, glory years certainly for these two clubs. But um, you know, based on last season for Arsenal, especially, um, it seems like you guys are right back in you know where this club has been trying to be again for the last few years. Um, I guess just I, putting the disappointment of the end of the title race out of view a little bit. Can you evaluate last season for Arsenal just from a fan perspective? Sure, it was more than anybody could have expected and more than Mikel Arteta expected. Uh, he went on the record and said that the team last year was ahead of schedule. Uh, I think that the the plan when he took over was to you know, navigate sort of a rebuild of the roster a year in the Europa League. Then last year was meant to be a team that was solidly good enough to qualify for the Champions League. And then they were looking at this year and maybe even next year as the seasons where they would really start to challenge for the title. And so they were ahead of schedule last year. Uh, You know, uh, as you said, it fell short down the stretch, but you can't, uh, the reasonable fan, the reasonable Arsenal fan. uh, And unfortunately, a lot of the unreasonable ones are the loudest online, uh, but a reasonable Arsenal fan can't help, but be thrilled with how last season went and the direction the team is moving in, especially if you take, sort of a broader view of it. If you take a step back and just look at the trend over the last five to 10 years, Arsene Wenger was stepped away, was pushed out the door. Uh, The Unai Emery era was terrible. The team was declining. 
going back to the Wenger years, to be to be fair, uh, it sort of bottomed out when they got rid of Emery, and then Mikel Arteta has slowly but surely been building it back up. And so, you know, the long view trend is 100% moving in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, as a fan of Man United, we've had a couple of seasons in the past where we finished second, but um, it's it's almost like the substance wasn't really there. The Jose Mourinho year in, in particular, the, you know, the expectation for Jose Mourinho at the time was still, he's a guy who comes in and wins titles. And then the way that that second place finish unfolded was disheartening. You know, by the end of the season, people were wondering whether it was still going to be at that level next year. I feel like it's the complete opposite for Arsenal. Uh, It's almost like um, how it felt when Liverpool kind of ascended under Jurgen Klopp. This feels like this is a core uh, of the team that's here to stay, which is, you know, scary for people like me supporting Manchester United. But, um, you know, as uh, an England fan as well, a huge fan of watching Bukayo Saka. Um, I I think his emergence has been the most fun part of it, just watching the game as a fan of the game. Um, But Recently crowned uh, PFA Young Footballer of the Year, by the way, Bukayo Saka. Yeah, it's it's still strange the way that those awards are set up, but I'm glad it is actually like recognizing a young player of the year and they didn't just like give that award to Erling Holland as well. (laughs) Because he meets the quality, he meets the standards for it on age. So yeah, he could have given it to him, but... Yeah, but um, with with this Arsenal core and the way that they kind of went about adding to it this summer, do you think that the three signings that they made was enough? Because it, it feels like with the 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 publicity of the moves Arsenal were making this summer, it was going to be much bigger. But uh, it was really only three first team players that they signed. Uh, obviously, Declan Rice took up the majority of the funds, but Kai Havertz, you know, Premier League. Uh, experienced player from Chelsea coming in as well. And then uh, you're in Timber, kind of a young defender. Um, do, do you feel like, or how are you <laughs> in, uh, viewing the summer transfer window uh, as the season is getting going? I can't complain about the summer transfer window. Uh, Arsenal had a few boxes that need to be needed to be ticked and they ticked all of them. You know, they got, arguably the biggest fish of the summer in Declan Rice. You know, Thomas Partey is, when he's at his best, like he was last fall, he is an excellent player. Um, He was, when he was on form, he was among the best in the Premier League in the position, if not the best for a stretch. But two years running, he's broken down, down the stretch, picked up injuries on international duty, uh, and struggled to be available and or at uh, firing on all cylinders uh, at the business ends of the season, and it has cost Arsenal. They brought in Declan Rice, who they're sort of playing together with Party, but he's the long-term successor at that position and you know will hold it down for the next five years at least. It's an excellent signing, and Declan Rice has wasted basically no time in acclimating to his teammates and sort of hitting the ground running. He looked he looked okay in the opener against Nottingham Forest and then was everything you expected him to be in the second game of the season against Crystal Palace. So, you know, he he's fantastic. He's fit right in and he's ready to go. Um I'll talk briefly about Yuri and Timber because uh, it's incredibly disappointing that he 
Torres ACL basically 50 minutes into the season. Um, he was actually turning out to be a huge surprise uh, in terms of the level that he was already at. And it, it appeared from the community shield and from that, you know, that first game, that first 50 minutes, that he was going to be much more than a backup, that he was going to be a regular option in the system, a, a contributor uh, and a very talented player, um, especially playing in the same position as the uh, similar to Thomas Partey, perhaps a little brittle Alex Sinchenko, uh, you know, who also missed time down the stretch last year and that hurt Arsenal. Um, and so Timber was going to, to fill in that spot of a fullback who could comfortably invert into midfield. Um, Arsenal have sort of been trying that on the flip side of the field with Thomas Partey playing right back. I'm not a big fan of how that has gone. Um, so, you know, that would have been Timber playing on the left. And then, uh, but I'm getting ahead of myself talking formations. We can save that for later. Uh, Kai Havertz, I'm a big, I'll say it up front. I'm a huge fan of the Kai Havertz acquisition. I think that he's an incredibly talented player that just hasn't really been unlocked yet. I don't think that uh, really he had much chance at Chelsea, given all of the manager turmoil, the roster turnover, there was just no stability around him to succeed. Uh, I think that hopefully Mikel Arteta will find that. Uh, he is actually off to a much better start this season than the uh, the discourse would have you believe. Um, he wasn't great against Fulham, but his underlying numbers were still fine. And before that, they were quite good. I think people are also forgetting because he's Premier League experience, because he's Kai Havertz, because of the price tag, because they have their pre-existing sort of notions about him, that he was brought in to be the direct replacement for Granit Xhaka, who, you know, is was physically limited and also limited in his attacking abilities. And he has already shown that he is a significant upgrade in that spot. I think the goals and the assists will come. Uh and I think that we're going to look back and kind of say, oh, wow, that was a that was a really good signing. Oh, and the other thing that, that everybody is glossing over as they criticize the signing after, you know, he's played three games, all three of those games, he's played with a basically a different grouping of players on the left side. You know, not only has he joined a new team, learned a new system and uh, is learning new teammates, he has different ones immediately around him that he's supposed to interchange with, pass with, you know, uh, and and play with. Once he finds a little bit of stability, uh, I think that you'll see him settle in. And we didn't mention uh, David Raya on loan, which, right. for all intents, for all intents and purposes, what everybody's saying is that it's basically a sale, but that for financial fair play reasons it was done as a loan with the option to buy and that Arsenal have every intention of exercising that option to buy at the end of the season. That was one towards the end that really surprised me because I didn't, I mean, I don't think Aaron Ramsdale is like a world beater goalkeeper or anything, but I, I didn't think that he was um, somebody that they were looking to upgrade on. Uh, I'll put it that way. I think, I think it's more of a one, a one B situation than, mm -hmm trying to i think what they were trying to do was upgrade on matt turner 
uh, because Matt Turner, while an excellent shot stopper, does not have the ball skills that a goalkeeper, but basically really the modern goalkeeper requires. I mean, you mm-hmm. Manchester United yeah. had the same thing <laughs> with David De Gea and upgrading it to Andre Onana. Uh, you know, you have to have a goalkeeper capable of playing the ball, uh, passing both short passes, medium passes, and even, you know, accurate long balls. And Matt Turner just wasn't that. And, you know, uh, Arsenal needed a backup who could do that, both because, you know, on the off chance that uh, Aaron Ramsdale gets hurt or just when they play in cup competitions and the Champions League, which I think David Raya is going to play in the Champions League, you mm-hmm. need somebody who can play the same system. You know, the entire build from the back system had to change with Matt Turner back there and with David Raya, it doesn't. So I think that's why they made that move. And along those same lines, uh, I guess we'll shift to the Manchester United side of things now. Um, a lot of changeover in the United squad um, in, in terms of the way that they're trying to play. Uh, seems like they're moving a little bit more towards Eric Tenog ball to mixed results um, now with Casemiro letting people sort of run by him in the first few games. Um, how much have you sort of paid attention to Manchester United moves uh, over the summer? I've I paid attention. I was aware of what they were doing. I've watched um, most, but not all 270 minutes, but I've watched a good chunk of United's uh, minutes, the first few matches. Um, uh, If you want my opinion on Manchester United, I still think that there are some question marks defensively, and that is not helped by Casemiro, you know, uh, age and, you know, waning, athleticism uh, and ability to, you know, keep up with people running past him. Um, I think that the Eric Ten Hag pressing system is scary when it, you know, goes off when it's done correctly, it's going to cause a lot of problems for teams, uh, especially ones who don't have center backs and fullbacks who are confident with the ball at their feet. Um, I think that Arsenal have tried to build a group of defenders who are capable with the ball at their feet, but it's still going to cause problems even for the top teams when it, when it goes off correctly. Uh, I like the addition of Mason Mount. I think he's a quality footballer. It's again, it's a, an attacker from Chelsea who is a good player in his own right, but maybe didn't have the chance to really reach his full potential because of everything that was going on around him. And, you know, the jury's necessarily out on Rasmus Hoyland because yeah he arrived with a bum back. Yeah. He, I mean, this, it was a back, right? That was, yeah, it's his back. Um, you know, not great to learn (laughs) that a striker has back problems after the signing has been confirmed, but, um, this, I think this weekend will probably be his first time in the squad. I'm not sure that he'll start, uh, just because that seems kind of harsh for a, a 20 year old, uh, who is already, you know, dealing with the pressure of being the number nine to fix Manchester United to throw him out at the Emirates seems like a lot. But I mean, last year they spent 80 million on Anthony and then threw him out against Arsenal in his very first game. Um, and even though he scored, he didn't look like he was totally acclimated into the team yet. That was more just finishing off a move. But 
kind of comparing the teams uh, last year, these two meetings, uh, Man United getting the better of Arsenal the first time around. Obviously, there were um, much in much different places already from the start of the season with Arsenal, you know, looking like a title contender in their first few games, as opposed to Manchester United kind of playing catch up after the disaster of the first two weeks. Yeah, I mean, that was um, a that was almost a kitchen sink game for Manchester United, you know, two, three games into the season, they basically had to throw everything. They had all of their energy and uh, passion and, and you know, basically all of the intangibles they had to bring it because that was uh, almost a must win game. Not that they were going to sack Eric Ten Hag, but that was sort of right. a, a markings point. Um, I can't, there's a word that I'm, it's like a very simple yeah. phrase, I don't think, but, but yeah. Yeah, that, that was like a watershed. That was going to be a watershed game in, in Manchester mm-hmm. United season that if, you know, Arsenal beat them at Old Trafford that, you know, I think that things could have spiraled from there. Conversely, you know, the win helped them turn things around. And I will mm-hmm. also point out the, uh, the, the Arsenal, the Arsenal opening goal <laughs> that uh, was taken off the board, and then Arsenal was later later received an apology because they missed, they blew the call. I think that that game yeah. plays out, and I think that game plays out pretty differently. And that's one of the things. Um, the opening goal is is important for Arsenal for the way they want to play, and also for the way that Manchester. Manchester United want to play and want to play against Arsenal because United are very dangerous on the press. They're very dangerous on the break. Arsenal want to have the ball kind of pull you out, force you back, pull you out, pull you out of position. And United are happy to do that, especially with a lead and then look to break with Bruno Fernandes, with Marcus Rashford, you know, to break with pace and score on the counter. And so when you're up a goal, that's kind of, the perfect way to do that. So, you know, looking ahead to the match this weekend, that opening goal is is going to be important. It's also going to be important because uh, I'm not sure about the sentiment at the Emirates, which is weird to say after, you know, you're 2-0 and 1, you have 7 of 9 points, you know, you're coming off of last season. I think the people are a little ill at ease with Arsenal's form right now because they haven't looked like the dominant you know, beating everybody except Manchester City side that they did last year. And so people are sort of concerned that they might have taken a half step back. And so if, you know, Manchester United go one nil ahead early-ish in the game, uh, people are going to be nervous at the Emirates. So, you know, it's a really, it's always score. It's, it's kind of a cop out. Scoring the first goal is always important. And the numbers will show that if you score the first goal, you're pretty likely to, you're more likely to win the game. But there are a lot of reasons why I think it'll be especially important uh, this weekend. Yeah, and um, you know, kind of in that same breath, Manchester United off to a really weird start to the season. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean the the performance against Tottenham, I think you can just classify as bad. Uh, the second half, especially because the first thirty minutes, they probably should have scored. There was the penalty shout. I, you know, I got some flack on Twitter by saying I think it was probably a fair call because. If you're two yards away from someone and your arm is out, I don't think that's you trying to block a shot. I think your arm is just out. But um, it's everything in these first three games has the makings of uh, uh, a mood that can shift either way at the drop of a hat. It's like Mm -hmm. we could be in crisis mode if we lose at Arsenal. We could be, you know, right as rain. Everything's moving in the right direction if we win at Arsenal. 
it's I, I, um the, things just feel like they're on a knife's edge with with the fan base at the moment not that it would turn against eric tenog but uh for the potential to spiral out of control and you know really put themselves in a bad position in the top four race early on and i think unfortunately for manchester united uh, he you might get an arsenal side that is similar to the one that was so dominant last year uh the first few games, Mikel Arteta, in part because of Zinchenko's uh, injury and then Timber's injury and then also whatever weirdness is going on with Gabriel Magalhaes, uh, it's not really clear whether he's slightly had his head turned by Saudi money or if Mikel Arteta's, you know, it's a tactical decision is to be taken at face value. Uh but McAllister has been tinkering with the lineup. I mentioned earlier, Thomas Partey playing as an inverted right back. There are a lot of guys out of position. Ben White has been shifted into center back as a result of that. There are a lot of guys playing different positions from where they were last year. And uh, the it's, it's very weird because the underlying numbers are actually that Arsenal have been as good or better, but it just hasn't looked as good. It hasn't looked as sharp. It hasn't looked as crisp. They haven't, they've lacked sort of a cutting edge. Um, I guess it's trending a little bit towards possession without purpose, but there's, there's, it's more than just possession without purpose. There is purpose. It just isn't quite as good, but circling back, I think you're going to see a lot more players in their normal positions. I think unless there's something really actually strange going on with, with big Gabrielle in the back, I think you're going to see, the same back four as Arsenal had for last season, Zinchenko on the left, uh, Gabriel left center back, William Sleever at right center back, Ben White back at right back. Um, it's a little interesting question as to whether Thomas Partey will be at the base of the midfield or if it'll be Declan Rice. Um, that's a question that hasn't been resolved. Uh, Gabriel Jesus should be back leading the line, which is – he is night and day uh, compared to Eddie Nketiah. And shout out to Eddie. He just got his first full England senior call-in, which is fantastic for him. Um, he's a guy he just, you can't yeah. – He just doesn't guy... quite tie things together yeah. the same way Gabriel Jesus does. Yeah, well, and you hate to speak ill of him because, you know, uh, he does everything right. You know, he's playing – he's fine with being a backup. You know, he's not making waves about playing time. He – you know, when he plays 15, 20 minutes a game, he comes on, he runs hard, he scores some goals off the bench. You know, there's nothing to criticize about him, but he, you know, he's just not Gabriel Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, who uh, he'll, he should be back in the lineup. And so the question mark is party rice at the base of the midfield. And then if it's party, will Declan rice play in the left eight spot where Kai Havertz has been playing or will party shift to the bench and it'll be Havertz, on the left, Odegaard on the right, and then the usual attacking trio of Martinelli, uh, Jesus, and Saka. But I think that it should be closer to the comfortable lineup that know how to play with each other. And uh, we could see Arsenal much closer to sort of the the glory that was most of last year. Yeah, that's probably bad for us given the injury problems. Um, yeah, if it is glory, Arsenal. Um, I mean, Mason Mount already missing a few months or a few weeks. Uh, Luke Shaw and Rafael Varane now out for it looks like a month and a half. 
Um, I mean, there's a chance Sergio Regulon is starting at left back for us on Sunday, um, coming on loan from Tottenham. So, um, oh, <laughs> welcome, welcome to Manchester United, Sergio Regulon. You yeah. have to defend Bukayo <laughs> Saka and Martin Odegaard on the Arsenal right. Yeah. Um, it, and, you know, he, he's a player we wanted to sign three years ago whenever he torched us in the Europa League for Sevilla. Um, he's got talent going forward, but, um, I mean, Luke Shaw is our second best bulk progressor, uh, which, mm-hmm. you know, is an indictment of the midfield problems as as well as, you know, uh, a credit to Luke Shaw and how good he is uh, going forward and creating. But um, right, that, that cuts off service to Marcus Rashford, who's probably playing on the left again with, um, you know, Anthony Martial healthy again, probably starting at center forward or maybe Rasmus Hoyland coming in. Um and it, it just seems like every time we get someone back, somebody, you know, we're taking it's one step forward, two steps back with this lineup, um, which really is not helping with the discourse around the team and the fan base right now. But um, I do wonder if because of all of that, you know, just out of necessity, Eric Tenog is going to, you know, revert to sort of what they combated Arsenal with at the start of last season, mm-hmm. uh, which was, you know, a bit more of a mid block um not pressing too high and trying to create or invite arsenal forward to create the space in behind that they can exploit on the break yeah my feeling is that i think arsenal will do pretty well so long as they don't shoot themselves in the foot which has become a very annoying trend uh down the stretch last season and then to start this season uh they're making really simple and stupid mistakes and gifting opponents chances and goals. Both of the goals that led to the Fulham draw were Arsenal mistakes. Uh, you know, one and one was Thomas Partey not being used to playing right back. So he stepped up maybe when he shouldn't have, or maybe when Bakayo Saka wasn't expecting him to. So Bakayo Saka played a bad, you know, pass back to nobody that Fulham ran onto and scored. And then up to one, this is even almost more unforgivable. Zinchenko did, I don't know what he was doing on the ball, gave it away, Fulham came down, won a corner, scored off the corner. Those are self-inflicted wounds that cost Arsenal those two points. And they've done it in other matches, giveaways, silly fouls leading to set pieces, things like that. There's every possibility that Arsenal might just gift Manchester United a goal or two. Uh, and you know, they did it against Fulham and could only manage a draw. You do it against a better team like United, and you might not take any points away from the match. So, and United, are, as, that's why I talked about Marcus Rashford before his ability to, you know, to score on the break, his pace, his shooting, all of that, his combinations with Bruno Fernandez, all of that is scary when you have a team that's liable to do make some boneheaded mistake that gives the other team a break because if they have the quality to finish that break, you're going to be shipping goals. Yeah. I think um, in the first meeting last year, Rashford's two goals, obviously a product of, you know, that sort of strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, you know, our dependency on him as a goal scorer, I think was really obvious looking at the total stats from last season with how many goals Manchester United scored as a team. I mean, their goal difference was almost embarrassing um, looking at the other top four, even the top six teams in the Premier League. Um, 
So I'm obviously hoping that we're not as dependent on him this season, but I think last the last match against Nottingham Forest where he, you know, with the penalty and the two goals from open play was responsible for creating all of those opportunities. Um, we're, yeah, it's we're, always, we're still just so sorry. dependent on his ability to, you know, get on the ball. So if, if there is one weakness at right back uh, for Arsenal, I'm sure that they're going to find a way to try and attack that. Yeah, which is part of the reason why I think you might see Ben White back in that spot, um, who I have every confidence in his ability to defend. Circling back to Marcus Rashford, it's never a good, and this is how Arsenal were two or three years ago before Arteta with basically relying on either Bukayo Saka, younger Bukayo Saka, or Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang basically to to have a moment of individual magic for like, that was their number one attacking plan. It's never a good feeling when you're relying on somebody, whether, you know, how, regardless of how good of a player they are for them to be basically performing at, at or near the top of their game, you know, because we all know that, that runs of form like that run out at some point and, you score a whole bunch of goals and then all of a sudden the shots just aren't going in for you. And if that's one of the main ways that your team is getting goals, it's a problem. And Arsenal, as I said, we, we lived that with Pierre Mikobamiang when he turned back into a pumpkin, um, you know, it's not pretty. So it, it hurts. My too hope, for, my hope yeah. for you as a, as a man, my hope for you, I'll say it this way. My <laughs> hope for you as a Manchester United fan is that Marcus Rashford continues his form. Uh, my hope for, you know, Arsenal and especially this game is that, you know, his form maybe takes a sudden dip. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it hurts when the players are so likable too, that there's that much like yes. ex- external pressure on them. Like obviously Manchester, like, you know, we're aware of how other fan bases feel about Bruno Fernandes. And, um, you know, in the past, players like Roy Keane, like, you know, respect how good they are, but just can't stand them. And this, you know, the the spotlight on them is almost invited in that way. But it's like with Marcus Rashford, and I'm sure, you know, the same way with Bakayo Saka, you just like, I I, I just feel this need to like protect them. (laughs) Yeah, I've had, I've had, many fans of other teams sort of lament to me that like Saka and Odegaard and Martinelli, that, that Arsenal's young players all seem so darn likable that it's really difficult to, you know, to be a rival team of Arsenal because their core players are, are guys that you want to, to cheer for. You want to see them do well. That's why I've avoided watching like interviews with Erling Holland because uh, I one of our writers was talking to me about this last season where he did an interview when he'd first moved to England and he was just so shy and like just relatable and like, you know, talking about anxiety and like, you know, like I get nervous too. Like, man, you're supposed to be the Terminator. I'm supposed to hate you. <laughs> you <know? Like laughs> yeah. You're, you're the front of everything that I think is evil about modern football. <laughs> it's like, why are you being so likable right now? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I, I'm going to be keeping an eye on uh, and I guess, you know, people who listen to your podcast may not know, may not know my, my reputation and my reputation for poking fun at myself about it, but I focus a lot on the physicality of games. And I think that 
in part that's probably because Bukayo Saka gets the crap kicked out of him most of the time and that players are allowed to take liberties with him mm-hmm. that they weren't allowed to take with players like, I don't know, say like Harry Kane, the England golden boy and all of that. Uh, I think that Lissandra Martinez and Casemiro to a lesser extent are those type of players who play right on the edge and often over it. Uh, and a lot of the way the match might go could be determined on whether it's called close or whether they let them play. Because if it's called close, I think that, you know, Casemiro, Casemiro, Martinez, Thomas Partey for Arsenal, uh, probably either Gabriel or Saliba, that, that there might be yellow card issues that, that come into play uh, and open up space for the attackers. Uh, if it's not called as closely, uh, I think that it will be a pretty physical game both ways, uh, you know, because you're, the United guys like to dish it out and Gabriel and William Saliba are both big dudes at the center of Arsenal's defense and they play a physical game as well, especially mm-hmm. – especially with how Mikel Arteta wants them to, to step uh, step in the middle third and even into even over the halfway line to try and break up attacks before they start. You know, if it seems like they're going to get turned or that the attacker might get by uh, or that the ball gets by, the attacker doesn't. So, you know, they can pick, they can pick up their fair share of cards that way. And, you know, that's something that could turn the game, especially if, People get on yellow cards early, uh, and guy the the skill players have more room to operate. Yeah, I, th- I think that turned into a problem uh, for Casemiro over the course of last season. Uh, Lissandro, I mean, there was a case against Tottenham, I think, on a counterattack where he like remembered he was on a yellow card. <laughs> it was like about it was, was kind of like the Trent thing last week. He was about to grab his shirt, and it was like, oh right, I'm gonna get a red I card. Can't, if this I can't happens. do this. Yeah, but it's it, it's it's really strange. Uh, with uh, like this day and age with uh, obviously you can't tackle like you know Martin Keown and Nemanja Vidic did 15 years ago yeah um football's just not played that way anymore but how much a part of uh that is is still in the game in terms of kind of feeling it out with the other team and then feeling it out with the referee um and some of that is going uh, not going out the window but is having additional pressure put on it with all of these new points of emphasis Mm -hmm. you know it's not really the guys in the center of the park who are going to pick up random yellow cards for delaying throw-ins but you know uh, they linger too long on a free kick or they commit a foul and just sort of out of habit they touch the ball away you know it's weird that that like that will get you a yellow card as opposed to you know the person who just clattered into you that you're complaining about. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. It's uh, the the new points of emphasis are, let's say they're just uh, they're head scratchers for me. And we've already seen you know how many I think I saw I saw something from one of the stats websites that it was like cards for descent are up like 140% this year cards for time wasting are up 150%. You know, you look at the sort of like the, the list of all of the results from the weekend and half the matches have a red card next to one of the teams, you know, yeah. players I think are starting to adapt, but stuff like that is still having determinative outcomes on games. And, you know, the sooner that stops being the case, the better, but, it's another thing that could come into play uh, yeah. this weekend. 
Yeah, uh, uh, we'll just end on this, I guess. But I, I mean, as much as I want this to be a fairly officiated game, I'll take a dodgy penalty in the 90th plus five <laughs> as well. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, they call it Fergie time for a reason, right? Yeah, yeah. Eric Tanang needs to start pointing out his watch more. That's what we need. Um, uh, with the new rules, they'll probably randomly decide that that is an automatic yellow too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Zoom is going to run out of time in two minutes. But uh, Aaron, thank you so much for joining me. Um, it, it's always fun to, you know, gain other perspectives. And, you know, as somebody really entrenched in Manchester United Twitter, both as part of and against my will, it, it's uh, refreshing. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we run out of time, uh, we always do on our side of things. Quick, quick prediction for the scoreline. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to say 1-1. All right. I think I think I'm going 2-1 to Arsenal. Um I want to go 3-1 but Arsenal just starts banging in the goals like they were last year. So I'm going to go 2-1 to Arsenal. Yeah. Uh I mean look, uh, I probably should have brought this up when we were uh, talking more about the matchup, but Eric Tenog's record on the road in the Premier League is uh pretty bad right now. So. Oh really? I wasn't yeah. aware of that. Thanks yeah. for that. He's I'll, not I'll make he sure has not won against a big six side uh yet oh, in the dear. Premier League. Oh dear. Yep. The the well, best he's done is uh draws at Chelsea and Spurs. Every everything else has been a loss. A I pretty, hope that record continues. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, thank you.